0: Before you get started on your journey through the award-winning Guilt podcast, I'd like to say a quick thank you for taking the time to listen to these stories. You're about to hear live investigations, where you'll be encouraged to form your own theories. This podcast is completely free, but if you wish to have an ad-free listening experience, early release, and get access to bonus content like extended interviews and exclusive episodes, You can subscribe to the Brevity Plus channel on Apple Podcasts or our Acast Plus channel for a small fee. The details can be found in the description of this episode. Now that's it from me, thanks again for listening and enjoy the podcast.
1: Everyone knows therapy
2: is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too.
0: Brevity Studios New Zealand. This is Guilt. Who Killed Jordan Vidori. I'm your host, Ryan Wolf. About two years ago, around Christmas, I was sitting at my mother in law's home in Waihee, New Zealand. We happened to be talking about unsolved crimes, and the subject, as it tends to do in this part of the world, turned to the murder of the Piedo or Pizza Man. Even though I'm not a local to the area, I'd heard of this murder, and I could still remember it vividly. Over the next hour, different theories flew around the table but I was hooked you see June 18th 2012 was a day I actually remember quite vividly I heard about the death of the pizza man and for some reason it stuck with me ever since so after listening to these different theories bouncing around that day I decided I'd make a podcast about the case of course life has a habit of getting in the way of our grand ideas but for some reason this was something that I always knew was going to happen it wasn't a matter of if It was only a matter of when. Fast forward two years and it's September 2021. COVID has changed our world. And with it, my priorities, I was ready to do something meaningful. I was finally ready to take on this project. But where to start? I had no idea how to make a podcast. No equipment, no experience, nothing. So I bought recording equipment and made a plan I'd drive to Pai and just start talking to people. I felt that if I could speak to the right people, the story would just take on a life of its own. And nothing could prepare me for what was to follow. First off, get ready for a bumpy ride. This isn't like other podcasts you may have heard where they just regurgitate some shit they found on the internet. This is me, starting from scratch. On the street, on the phone, in my car, in people's houses, interviewing people, some dangerous some who have never been spoken to before with one goal in mind solving this murder so who am I? my name is Ryan Wolfe I'm an actor and a lawyer and although I don't currently practice law I believe these two skill sets have provided me with a unique advantage in approaching both the case and this type of media my aim is to not only solve the case but to tell a story the story of Jordan Vidori. so this is it Your last chance to swipe right. Take the blue pill and go back to your regular podcast. Or take the red pill and let's see how deep this rabbit hole goes.
4: Police have
5: now confirmed a popular pizza man was killed, but they won't say how 55-year-old Jordan Vidori died in the Waikato town of Paeroa.
0: So I think the first place to start is to go over the facts of the case as we know them. Well, officially anyway. What I mean by this is the facts as the police have made them available. Jordan Bedori was a 55-year-old Greek-born pizza shop owner in the small rural town of Pidoa, New Zealand. Sometime on the evening of June 11, 2012, Jordan closed up his pizza shop, Mykonos, made himself something to eat, then proceeded upstairs to his flat, where he was active on his computer browsing the internet until the early hours. His computer was shut off just before 1 30 a.m for some reason around this time jordan made his way downstairs to the back outside area of his shop it was here he encountered someone or some people and an altercation occurred ultimately resulting in a single gunshot jordan managed to stagger approximately 15 meters to the roadside gate before eventually succumbing to his wounds while apparently trying to open the gate at least two witnesses reported hearing what sounded like a gunshot At approximately 2 a.m. Jordan's body was found at approximately 4 a.m. the next morning by a direct neighbor. It was at 6 a.m. that morning the neighbor called police. An extensive police investigation followed but no person has ever been charged for Jordan's death. These are the known facts of the case which can be found through any web search. It is unknown but highly likely the police have further evidence they haven't yet released. In 2020 Jordan's case featured on a New Zealand TV show, Cold Case. It was during this episode the police revealed two additional previously unreleased pieces of evidence in an attempt to break the case. First, the type of bullet that was used in the shooting, a .22 calibre round, brand Winchester Super X, which according to a rifling expert narrows the type of weapon used to only 10 types of .22 calibre rifle. Secondly two large black cable ties were found near the roadside gate. It is unknown if these cable ties are related to the homicide, but their pristine condition sitting on the top of the loose gravel is curious. Despite extensive police searches, the owners of these cable ties have never been found. Now, immediately, there's some avenues of interest here that I'm going to need to investigate, and people I'm going to need to speak to. But before I do that... It's important to paint a picture of the town of Paedoa and the man that was Jordan Vidori. Because, as it turns out, during that time, one couldn't exist without the other.
6: It ain't famous for its Grand Prix.
0: Well, it ain't famous for
2: its flashy department store, Man, it ain't famous for its cunning architecture.
4: Famous! famous.
0: Pairoa. That's spelled P-A-E-R-O-A, and technically pronounced Pairoa, or alternatively Pyro in the commonly used vernacular. You'll hear both versions used throughout this podcast. The name is Indigenous Māori and means Long Ridge, and if you ever find yourself there, you'll see why. The town is situated at the very edge of a large open valley known as the Hauraki Plains, And along its edge runs a rugged mountain range. Paidoa is a small town with an approximate current population of 4,500, but it's not the type of backwater spot no one's heard of where people marry their cousins. Everyone knows Paidoa as the gateway to the Coromandel. To myself and many others like me who live in the North Island, it's that place you drive through before heading through the Karangahaki Mountains on the way to the golden beaches of the East Coast every summer. Oh, and of course, the most famous resident, the seven-meter-high giant bottle of soft drink that presides over the main intersection on your way into town. In 1934, Gray and Mackenzie's commenced production of the soft drink Paidua and Lemon, taking advantage of the world-class raw mineral water available in the Paidua Spring. Later, the name was changed to Lemon and Paerua, and finally, Allen P. The bottle has featured on New Zealand postage stamps and has become one of the most well-known photographed structures in New Zealand a mecca for visiting tourists. However, despite this famous local monument, growing up in Paerua revolved more around small-town community and the safety that came with it. I spoke to local teacher and long-time resident Darren Vanderwettering.
2: I was actually, I was born and raised here, um, so I sort of grew up in Paerua here, but I um, moved away after high school, um, studied and all that sort of stuff, but I moved back into town, so I was back here from... Probably around about two thousand
0: and eight. I asked Darren how he would describe Piata growing up and just the community in general.
2: Yeah, it was uh, just a just a nice little sleepy um, uh, uh, rural sort of New Zealand town. Really, you know, it was um, nice, quiet little place. But um, the the gem of it was that it was uh, only a hop, skip, and a jump away from um, from Hamilton or, or Tauranga or Auckland. So uh, it was nice to be sort of tucked away and a little bit quiet here. But but also sort of within. Uh, Easy reach of of the cities or, or the beaches up the Coromandel and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, gr- growing up, um, quite quite a neat little place to grow up. I think like most rural towns, you know, as a kid you sort of go, oh, this place is, is sort of a bit boring and that sort of thing. But when you get a bit older, you look back and go, no, actually, this is a, this was quite a neat little sort of place to grow up. You know, as as kids, we sort of spent our time, um, you know, fishing in the river or, or um, you know riding the bikes around town or um, playing a bit of bit of cricket or a bit of touch down at the field or something like that you know we sort of managed to find ways to, to keep ourselves occupied
0: I asked him whether he thought Paeroa was a safe place to grow up and raise a family
2: oh yeah absolutely and I think that was part of why we were quite happy to find ourselves my wife and I find ourselves sort of back back here you know um, we were quite happy and, and, and keen to raise our kids in this area again we sort of reflect back on it and go yeah actually we had a really good sort of uh, childhood and growing up in this area so the sort of place we wanted to raise our kids as well
0: an idyllic rural community setting we've all heard of or even grown up in these kind of communities before and often the glue that holds places like these together is the community spirit and the fact that everyone knows well everyone unlike big cities where the individual person gets lost in the noise of the crowd small towns provide the opportunity for characters to grow and Pido is no different I asked Darren if he knew Jordan and what kind of man he was.
2: Oh, he was quite a sort of, quite a larger than life sort of guy, you know, like he was quite, he was always quite neat to have a conversation with, he was quite sort of vibrant and energetic and, and, uh, you know, he had a lot going on. Yeah, definitely quite a, quite a big personality to him, yeah. Everybody knew who he was. He was kind of like one of those um, iconic people in the town, you know, everybody knew who he was, he, he. His, um, his store was, you know, sort of very well known. Everybody sort of liked his, liked his pizza and
6: whatnot. He was really well liked.
0: This is Debbie Osborne. She was a local at the time and managed the Salvation Army charity store just down the street from Jordan's pizza shop.
6: He gave a lot um, regarding, um, like he'd be open at night, so he would quite often be sitting outside. And if, you know, young teenagers that he got to know that were sort of um roaming the streets or not from you know uh what would you call it their home life was pretty rough so he would feed them and they would know that they could talk to him so he was well known for that like his generosity and a listening ear for them so that you know that was pretty much how everyone knew who he was you know
0: if you were one of these teenagers that jordan used to give pizzas to in the evenings Get in touch with us. I'd love to hear from you. Was it common to sort of have kids wandering the street in Pyro at that time?
6: Um, It was at that time, you know, so, yeah, quite a lot.
0: Yeah. How would you describe, if you were going to describe Pyro at that time in general, the town, uh, how would you describe that?
6: Um, Well, it was a good community, very community-minded and still is, you know, um, so, an identity like that everyone knew, you know, um, and I, I'm only assuming but have heard from a lot of people, you know, this is why teenagers would go there because they knew that he was he was open that, and that he would, you know, give them, you know, a pizza or food, you know. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, he sounds like he's mm. a really nice guy.
6: Yeah, he, he he was, you know, like I said, I didn't know him personally, but you just knew of him and everyone spoke highly of him. And that, what you know, people tend to do that after people die, you know, but this was while he was living, you know, so it wasn't just after his death. It was, he was well known for his generosity and a nice guy.
0: On the morning of Jordan's death, Debbie can recall streets taped off and police swarming the area more than you might normally see if it were only a robbery, the effect on this tight-knit community was quick and ran deep.
6: It was just pure shock with everyone because of his identity, you know. He was just such a nice guy and people were just blown away with like how, why, you know. He was a guy who, yeah, it it was just real shock. It affected the whole community, you know.
0: Yeah, I I think, Mm. I'd imagine too, just sort of the... The nature of how it happened it was so
3: open yeah
6: yeah yeah and that's that's the thing you know it was yeah and, and you know it was for him to die like that you know so yeah, you know obviously alone you know yeah and at night so uh, that was yeah that sort of I suppose saddened is the word saddened everyone yeah. You know, apart from the shock of murder, but just thinking how sad, you know, for this nice man.
0: Jordan's death wasn't only felt by his neighbours in the community, but right through the elected council. I sat down with Deputy Mayor Paul Milner, who shared his feelings on Paeroa and fondly remembers Jordan.
3: My name is Paul Milner. I am currently the Deputy Mayor. I've lived here my whole life, so yep. 39 years. Yeah. Uh, born and bred here, and my parents are both from here as well, and, and their families. So yeah, and th- did you grow up on a in a farming background? Or? No, grew up in town and with a family service station since 1932.
0: Paul is a typical non-assuming, humble, small town elected official, and looks young given his more than 17 years in office. We sat down in a small meeting room at the local Pydor District Council offices. When describing Pidoa, Paul reinforced many of the same points I'd already heard.
3: I would say it's a typical small rural town. We consider ourselves to be the greatest little town in the middle of everywhere. Um, due to our location but yeah it's like many other small towns there's um, good community spirit and vibe um, plenty of sports on offer and that sort of thing and a good um, town centre where you can get most of the things you need to to live a normal life. I think it's changed a lot over the years so going back to the 80s when the dairy factories closed and that sort of thing there was three pharmacies and two or three or four shoe shops and that sort of thing which you don't have quite so much now but still I think there's um, plenty of the of the shops that you need to be able to, to get by.
2: Yeah, I
3: mean, obviously antiques. Lots of antiques, some some junk shops, but a lot of good antique shops too. So people come far and wide for the good antiques and they, they wouldn't come to town just if it was junk shops and second hand shops. So proper good antiques and some funky retro shops and that has yeah. popped up in the last sort of couple of months as well. In
0: recent years, Paidoa has become an antiques mecca. We'll be revisiting antiques and the antique stores of Paidoa later as they may play a critical part in the telling of this story. For now, Paul finally remembers Jordan and his famous pizzas.
3: I used to go there for pizzas very regularly. Um, I was living just around the corner at the time, so I'd often jump on the push bike and shoot around and grab a pizza. He was bright, bubbly, he was quite out there, uh, always had a yarn to tell to different people. He was um, the sort of guy that if somebody was in need, he'd, he'd cook them a... Um, a plate of chips or a couple of slices of pizza and just didn't ask for anything for it and, and didn't care if anyone knew that he was giving it, but he was happy to give uh, people in need as well. Certainly an asset to the community. Absolutely. he. Um, interesting, the way he came here was he was, like most people, just stopped off for a cup of coffee and he sat in the street for half an hour and could not believe how much traffic was passing through and he decided that was it. He was coming to Pyro to set up shop. He had a, a wonderful hat collection and he was probably a, an antique coffee machine collector. He oh. seemed to be always tinkering with a different coffee machine and uh, loved his espresso. I guess that's, that must be that European sort of influence coming through. I imagine he grew up with it, so yeah. was, it was something that he carried on. What was what was your favourite pizza that he made? Did you have a sort of go-to? Uh, he had a lamb pizza and it was just, you'd sit there and watch him make it and there was... He was um, very extravagant with his hand movements and he was talking at 100 mile an hour while he was doing it as well and every time it came out beautifully so he just had a knack for using good ingredients and putting a bit of love into it. Honestly don't remember the day per se or like it wasn't one of those where were you when type things, it was just a a shock and it was the middle of winter so it was that cold time of year and just I I suppose it was a a bit of a grey dark day um, literally and figuratively. But um, there was all sorts of rumours floating around at the time, and people that thought they saw things or thought they knew things, which have turned out in the fullness of time just to be um, sort of rumours and wishful thinking. Um, I, I, the main feeling was shock, though, really.
0: Like any cold case, rumours are going to swirl when a murder remains unsolved after so many years. And this case was no different. I queried Paul on his thoughts regarding the police investigation.
3: It's probably something that comes up around the anniversary every year where people think gee has it been that many years since it happened and then the next thought is has anyone ever been caught or held accountable for it and it's just that unknown feeling and I don't think it's a matter of um, the police not doing their job or anything like that I think it's um, waiting for that one or two small bits of evidence that would tie a person or I know they had a, a vehicle of interest that they were never able to quite work out who was in that vehicle so it was just one or two little bits of information that need to come forward from someone that knows something.
0: Through all my interviews till this point, Pairo has been painted as rather idyllic. But I'm curious, is there a dark underbelly hidden away under the lacquer of a quaint little antique town?
3: Not any different to any other small town. I mean, there's there's a people that do a few naughty things from time to time, but it, it's hardly crime central or organised yeah. crime central. It's just a just a regular small town like any number of a dozen within an hour's drive of Pyro. I mean, there's been different gangs that have had um, members here over the years or, and that just fluctuate. Sometimes there's a few more, sometimes there's a few less. So.
0: Gangs and their activities are an increasing problem in New Zealand, but a low level of gang activity wouldn't make Paido a standout from any other small New Zealand town. But this is something I'm going to have to investigate further. Could there have been some kind of gang involvement in Jordan's death? I've personally grown up in a few small towns throughout New Zealand and most have some skeletons in the closet, However, honestly, at the time of Jordan's death, Pairoa was riding on a high. The newly established Positive Pairoa set the goal of building the town's reputation as a happening town on the
3: rise. Positive Pairoa has been around since about two, early 2000s. Yeah. So it was one of those things that came out of Businesses have closed and left, and the dairy factory's gone, and all of those sorts of things. So, what can we do to, to get town on the map? Yeah. Um, the Battle of the Streets bike race was 1992, that started. There was a Highland Games, and Tattoo started shortly afterwards. And those two major events have been a, a mainstay of town for a oh. long time.
7: I'm a promoter, so I work for a positive pyro committee and was the promoter for town. So um, that was to put Pyro on the map in terms of um, bringing business in, bringing people in, promoting and running events.
0: This is Anne Harris. We'd arranged to meet in the local 131 tavern, and after I botched the original meeting time, she was kind enough to come back to town so we could have our interview. She immediately radiates a friendliness and warmth, but I also sense a feeling of tiredness, perhaps from the amount of energy over the years she's expended for the town. She's also somewhat hesitant and a bit nervous about delving back into what she describes as a time in her life that brings up a lot of suffering. In 2012, she was tasked with putting Pyroa on the map, and that she did. Pyroa took out the award for the New Zealand Community of the Year. It's fair to say the entire town was riding on a high. It was no longer known as the town with the giant LMP bottle. I asked her what it meant for the town.
7: Huge and we were really starting to get on the map. I mean for years Pyro was sort of known as the you know, bit of a low-life town kind of thing. Um, yeah, beneath everybody else who'd want to come to Pyral kind of thing, even when I lived in my house, Pyral, you know, ooh, Pyral. But it, it was gradually changing a lot more. New people coming into town, the businesses were really picking up. Um, yeah. Everything was picking up, and, yeah, the it was really getting known for its events. And it yeah. was like, oh, Pyral, oh, that's a pretty cool town, isn't it? Oh, and also the middle of everywhere. Which, yeah, because so that
0: was the sort of the slogan, of, was it, of the, the push of the campaign?
7: Yeah, in the end, yeah, it sort of became obvious that we had a lot of retirees coming down from Auckland, people who got family in Hamilton, Rotorua, Tauranga, we're an hour from anywhere.
0: Paeroa really was becoming quite the happening town. Large, well organised events like the annual Paeroa street bike race, vintage and classic car show, Highland Games and a wine and food festival just to name a few. But these good times weren't to last. It was during this time that a major scandal struck the town and a prominent businessman was outed as being involved in a major child pornography ring.
7: Um, we had one of our prominent businessmen who was had name suppression initially and um, who I had actually worked with in Pai Roa. it was prosecuted for child pornography, which certainly threw me completely <laughs> Um and it also threw the town off its axis as well. Yeah. You know, because he wasn't named, it meant that people were looking at anybody who they thought looked a bit funny that was in business in Pydal. So I, I felt sorry for a lot of men that were in business in here in Pydal, even a lot of them long-standing men, because everyone was going, oh, who is it? It must be him. Oh, it must be him. You know, so that that was really horrible. And as a promotion, from a promotional point of view, yeah, that was a few months after um, the community of the year and then so for mm-hmm. me personally that kind of really hit and also in terms of the town that already took the feet out because, you know, somebody graffitied on the road, pedophile outside a shop that's a meter high. I mean oh, so all of a sudden your town is now being <laughs> targeted by its own people kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's a march up the town. As I say, it wasn't affecting him because he was tucked away at home, but it was affecting everybody else in the town. And for me, trying to promote your town, all of a sudden there's this whole ugly scene.
0: Although he no longer has name suppression, for the purposes of this podcast, I've decided not to name this prominent businessman. I've made the decision to include this because I believe it highlights the beginning of a downhill slide for the community that was only further exacerbated by Jordan's death.
7: I was already teetering, and then when Jordan got hit, that was kind of, I, actually, the TV... Crews came again because they'd already been for the community of the year, um, and then they came again to interview me, and I honestly couldn't couldn't speak. I just,
0: I'd just given your all, sort of thing.
7: I'd given my all, and it was the last thing that kicked the kicked the stool out from under me, really. Yeah. Uh, so my last engagement really was um, speaking at Jordan's
0: service. How much Jordan meant to the small community was demonstrated by the massive crowd that attended his funeral. Almost half the town of Pieter turned out to pay their respects to the vivacious pizza man. I mean, from what I heard, it was absolutely packed. It well, was packed. It says a lot packed. about who he yeah. is. Yeah, and it
7: was televised, but, no, it was on national television. Wow. Um, and as I say, everybody knew Jordan, whether you went there and bought a pizza or whether you went there regularly or, as I say, saw him up the street. He was always chatty, always, you know, yeah, big personality.
0: And did you speak at, at his funeral, did you say? Yeah. 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 yeah.
7: Obituary for him, I guess, or just from from the town.
0: Yeah, yeah. How was was that? It must have been difficult, I'd imagine.
7: Was difficult. Was difficult. But also an honour. Yeah. You know, you're honouring someone for for his life here. Yeah. And the sad part was how how his life got taken, and his yeah. family came to it too. So that was that was quite raw.
0: Yeah. Um, it must have been quite emotional for them to see the whole... They probably were blown away by it.
7: Mm. I think they were, yeah, by the huge support and, and of the community here. Mm. Just because I don't think they ever lived here, that side of his family never lived here. Um, they came to visit, but to actually see what an impact he'd had on the town probably hit them quite hard. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
4: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com.
0: Naturally, as someone closely involved with the town and its goings on, I questioned Anne regarding her thoughts on the rumors that swirled after Jordan's death.
7: Yeah, all sorts of conjecture. I mean I think my my neighbors being targeted was probably the most painful. It's kind like, of yeah, ridiculous. ridiculous. Um, I do think that at times the police weren't really looking or asking the right people in the right directions.
0: The neighbour Anne is referring to as Linda Hunter, also known locally as Rusty. At the time of Jordan's murder, she owned a neighbouring antique store and was the one who actually found Jordan's body and phoned the police. Linda and her former partner Dick were never officially charged by police, but there is a discrepancy regarding a two-hour time delay between the time at which Linda reported to the police she found Jordan's body approximately 4am, and the time she actually called the police, which was approximately 6am. It's clear that I'm going to need to try and speak to Linda to reconcile the reason behind this delay. I queried Anne on how well she knew Linda and her thoughts on the rumours. So are you quite good friends with Linda?
7: Um, I know her, I know her quite well I knew Dick really well Yeah. Her partner, um, I'd known him for years And I mean I'm sure there were things around there But you know, everybody's hiding their little secrets um, And I'm not saying that that was around Jordan But I think there was, had been some conjecture That he was having an affair with Linda But in actual fact she was having an affair with somebody else Right <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's why she didn't want to I have no idea But um, yeah. Dick, her husband Had been, had been a cop policeman himself so i think
0: yeah
7: that's why she called him
0: dick had been a former policeman could this explain the two-hour delay is it reasonable that a person might call their partner if he were ex-police prior to calling emergency services i queried Anne on how long she'd known dick
7: i mean the whole time i'd known him he wasn't in the police force someone i'd known him for at least 10 or 15 oh, right. years okay. before that so yeah yeah um but, yeah, lots of conjecture. What I didn't like was the police actually coming and giving me a questionnaire, which had about 52 questions in it, and it was all about my neighbours.
0: Yeah.
7: It was nothing. Uh, they didn't seem to be looking at any other angle. You know, there were lots of other angles. Lots yeah. of other angles, and I uh, I just sort of thought that was a little bit of finger-pointing. When you know somebody personally, you just yeah. think, mm mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Nah. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I really didn't, didn't see that connection at all.
0: I have to admit, at this point, it does seem hard to imagine. The neighbour that runs an antique store being involved in a brutal murder. What could be the motive here? I'm interested to know what other theories Anne might have heard. We-
7: I think it's totally bizarre. I mean, I know, I think you've probably seen, but my friend Viv, that owns Art antique Antiques next door, I mean, yep. she had lots of um, possibilities. There were all sorts of things that actually came up from that. You know, someone that he'd had worked for him, that he wasn't in a good space that night, that he was a bit frightened, that there were... And Jordan had a much bigger life than we all realised. Yeah. I think there were many, many parts to Jordan's life. Um, So it could have come from any of them. And I mean, there'd been burglaries in Waihee prior to... on the same night, I think.
0: These burglaries Anne's referring to are two armed robberies which took place in the nearby towns of Waihee and Katikati on the very same morning of Jordan's murder.
7: Yeah, 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 I mean, could just have been them on their way through. Yeah, and that's how I kind of felt, felt about the neighbours. It's yeah. like, or you've just, yeah, you've, you've put so run much run energy into going off on this tangent, yeah. you haven't actually looked at anything else.
0: These armed robberies on the same night in neighbouring towns obviously sound very conspicuous, particularly because the robberies took place in the direction of west to east, Jordan was shot in Paeroa, sometime between 1.30am and 4am. Then at 6am, 20 minutes up the road, a service station was robbed at gunpoint in the small town of Waihee. Then approximately 20 minutes later, a convenience store in Caddy, further up the highway, was also robbed at gunpoint. The police did catch and prosecute the alleged offenders of these robberies, but they were never linked to Jordan's murder. To me, this just seems like too much of a coincidence, and will need to be investigated further. Already, this case is starting to feel like it's going in multiple directions. I realise I need to speak to the woman Anne mentioned, Viv, or Vivian Leonard. She's the owner of Arkwright Antiques, probably the most prominent and well-known antique store in Pyroa. Arkwright Antiques was the direct neighbour of Mykonos Pizza, but just when I was planning on heading into Pyroa, I got a message from someone I'd reached out via Facebook, saying to give him a call. He'd like to speak. His name is Christos Vidori, Jordan's brother. I have to say, going into this phone interview was the first time I really felt the weight of what I was doing. I was digging up difficult memories, and then asking people to speak about them. My previous interviews had all been with people not directly connected to Jordan, but this was different. This was Jordan's brother. I tried to imagine how I'd feel if I lost my brother in this way, and it left me feeling with a weight of heavy responsibility, to ensure i do right by Jordan and his family. Christos was born in Greece, like his brother Jordan, and speaks with a heavy Greek accent. After the initial formalities, I ask him about their life growing up in Greece. As Auckland is still in lockdown, unfortunately, I wasn't able to meet him in person. So I apologise if the conversation is difficult to hear. I've paraphrased when necessary.
1: Well, we lost our mum when we I was about eleven years old. So we lived we some of us. Um, we grew in the orphanage. Three of us, me, Nico, and, um, and my sister. We grow in the orphanage, uh, but another uh, two of them they stay home. Your, uh, Jordan and uh, my other sister after me.
0: In the background, you can hear Heather, Christos's wife, providing some clarification for my questions to Christos. Heather and Christos met while Heather was on her OE in Greece. I spoke to Heather the previous day, prior to speaking to Christos. She's a New Zealander and gave me some insight into how she met Christos and his life growing up with his brothers.
4: We've been here 50 years. Oh, yeah. ah,
0: right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And then oh, jo- I'm, in New
4: Zealand. I'm a New Zealander. Yeah. And I, I went back with Chris five years after we were first married, and we bought out his two brothers to give them a better life because they come from poverty. Yeah. I mean, my husband and, and Nico were put in an orphanage, so yeah. they weren't even there once their mother died. And my husband is the oldest. But uh, Yuzani stayed home with his father. And yeah. so he he wagged school and didn't want to go. He ended up leaving school at 12 or 10 or something and was on the streets, you know, selling things like that. And going into – this is where the gambling start coming in. They go into those sort of places in Greece and then try selling things to people and doing things like that. Yeah. Just – yeah. Yeah. So yes, life was hard for them. Yeah, for all of them.
0: After moving to New Zealand, Christos described how he eventually started a pizza shop, and it was this that prompted him to go back to Greece for his brothers, to give them a better life than they had in Greece. I asked him why Jordan decided to make the move to Paeroa.
1: Oh no, this has been uh, before, a long time ago, before he moved to the Paeroa. He was, um, was stay with me for quite a, quite a few years, both of them, Nico and Jordan, but uh um, after the, <clears throat> he met uh, some other Greek people, then slowly, slowly, she, we, uh, because we have a pizza and found out it was, um, doing, we're doing well on the on the business, so he decided Nico and um, Jordan to have their own business because it was uh, a business available there, so he chose to go there. Ah,
0: okay. Uh, I see.
1: Somebody told me it was a business available, so I told him, and he says, yep, I'll go down there. So I gave him the phone number and then... Um, from the landlord, so he, did, he was done business with them.
0: We chatted like this for a while, talking about him growing up in Greece and the pizza shops with his brothers, and eventually I got the courage to ask about the day he found out that Jordan was murdered.
1: Okay. Oh, um, my sister-in-law, she told me, I didn't even know. My sister-in-law rang me and said to me, your brother has been shot. So I didn't take it seriously, so I rang the shop, I rang his uh, mobile phone number, no answers. So I said to my brother, let's go down there to see what's cooking, what's happening.
0: My thoughts naturally drift to what that must have been like, what the feeling must have been in that car, him and his brother, making the two-hour drive from Auckland, having no idea what was going on, only to eventually find out the tragic news.
1: Yeah, well, that's the the same uh, same day, and we found out what was happening. So we go down the bar to find out what's, um, you know, by the police. So the police have come to see me. I've been down there having some conversations and, you know.
0: You must have been at the time. I mean, obviously it would be shock, but...
1: Of course they'd be shot.
0: Yeah.
1: Of course they'd be shot. Everybody's shot.
0: Did, did I you... mean, losing
1: your brother is uh, not it's just a small thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Especially if it's been... It's different if you say having an accident, but uh, somebody's shot. Shot him is something, you know, some serious business.
0: Did you have a feeling at the beginning maybe Jordan might have been involved in something you weren't aware of? Or
1: No, 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 no. The only one uh, Jordan used to do is just play the the horses, the dogs and the scratches. That's it.
0: Yeah, if you missed that, Christos said the only vice Jordan used to have was betting on the horses, greyhounds and lotto. This did interest me as it was one of the consistent rumours in the early days of the case that Jordan had had a big win on the horses and robbing him may have been motive I put this to Christos. I've heard people say that he'd had some big win on the horses. Um, how much? No. Money, how much no. would he that's bet on? Rubbish. Yeah,
1: that's rubbish. No, that's rubbish. You used to play a couple of bucks there. Uh, that's not. Uh, don't, don't take this, uh, uh, seriously this thing. Yeah, it's not. uh not a gamble like that.
0: Yeah, just more for fun.
1: It didn't make money of the horses anyway. It's just uh, entertaining himself.
0: To clarify, gambling on horses and dogs is extremely common in New Zealand and certainly not an indication of anything sinister. And Christos's view of Jordan's gambling habits certainly are in line with casual betting. However, my goal in this podcast is to investigate every lead with the goal of removing the rumour so hopefully we can see a clearer picture of what really happened. So we'll revisit Jordan's gambling in a future episode. For now, I asked Christos about the last time he saw Jordan. I used to
1: have the day chauffeur. used to come and my pizza shop and then go to the Nico. And we have a little bit of chat together. We'll... When I finished, we went because it was having day off on uh, days, I think. He was closed to the shop, so he was coming to see his kids. And we had to sit to, together and um, we, we talked the whole day, so what's happening, you know, how we survived and all these uh, things. And there was the last um, day we drank together, three of us, and we took a photo of it, and the next day he was gone. Oh, wow. Well. That was the last uh, thing. It was good to to have been the three together. We have a uh, you know, we were uh, drinking and we're talking about it for the old days. And then the next day, it happened.
0: Yeah, and so he he was quite, he was quite good. He was always going up and seeing his kids. And
1: oh, of course, yeah, he loves his kids. He loves his kids. No doubt about that.
0: Jordan used to make a weekly trip from Piador to Auckland to see his brothers Nico and Christos and his four children. I've reached out to this side of the family. However, at this stage, they've declined to be involved in the podcast. One thing is very clear: Jordan loved his kids and was a great father. So, I do hope they may speak at a later time. I asked Christos if him or his brother have any theories about what may have happened to Jordan.
1: No, 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 nothing. No. So it's, as I say, it's not. Um, it's something unexpected, um, and even in as. Um, um, his private uh, things, he was keep it to himself. Like anybody does that.
0: Yeah.
1: Anybody, even in your family, you won't tell them everything. Uh, you want to keep your something, your private things to yourself. You can't explain, share it with somebody else. You know. Yeah. But that was his private thing. You can We didn't even know what what, um, what he was doing with that down there. But as I say, it's not. Um, it's nothing uh, seriously. Yeah. it's nothing serious down there As I said the guy was um, the, the only thing he used to love is sitting in the, in the computer and buy in, uh, on, uh, uh, trade me and buy some things <laughs> yeah.
0: what Christos is referring to here is trade me this is a new zealand-based trading website very similar to eBay Jordan was known to be on the trade me website at all hours of the day aside from making pizza this was something he clearly loved and it was trade me that he was browsing into the early hours of the morning the night he was shot. Christos continues to tell me about Jordan's hospitality, and laughs when he remembers that Jordan was constantly giving away food, and as a result was never making any money. I he- I've heard a lot of people that I've talked to say that Jordan was just a very generous, nice
1: man. he was sitting in the whole party, mate, and never gets to make money. Yeah, it was giving the kids and the uh, there and there, the people in there they say okay tomorrow. <laughs> he says, "Don't worry about it." Just,
0: uh, it <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've heard people. I've heard people say that a homeless person would come and sit down, and he would just put a pizza in front of them.
1: Yep. Well, that's our generosity and hospitality in the Greek uh, uh, culture.
0: Hearing comments like that really drives home how tragic this murder really is. And eventually, the conversation steers towards the case and the fact it remains unsolved almost 10 years later. How, how do you feel about it, the fact that you, we're almost 10 years down the track and that it's never been solved?
1: Well, it, it, it didn't, I mean, look, I have got the, the last photo we took together. So I, I see him, as I say, I, for me, he's still alive. Even I feel my mom my still alive because I was very young and I didn't, you know, I don't know. I don't, it did affect me a little, um, quite a bit because, as I say, I lost my brother. Wow. And everything else, uh, so I could bring me here to, to, to get a better life, not to be wasted.
0: I mean, it sounds like he loved the life he had while he was here, though.
1: Of course he did. Every, every, even I thought too. Because the things we have here, we will never have in Greece. Yeah. We, the things we got here, we never have, we have in Greece. We couldn't afford to have this in Greece. That's why I bring them here, to have a better life.
0: I heard he used to, or well, you guys used to sell smokes on the street, sort of thing, for pocket for extra money when you were kids.
1: Not just the, not just a smokes, Mike. We used to sell chewing gums. We used to sell um, uh, sunflowers, sunflower seeds. We used to sell a lot of things. We used to do a lot of work for people to get some money for it. Yeah. Because when a father has five children, where does the money come from? So we have to work for it.
0: Probably, I suppose it's probably not like New Zealand with benefits and
1: no, no. Last, let me tell you something. Last the time it was wonderful, it was beautiful life, we happy life, we were very happy with it. We didn't have much, but we happy with it. But today you got everything, and you're still not happy.
0: It was at this point in the interview I recalled a crucial aspect of my conversation with Heather the day before, which had piqued my interest regarding injuries to Jordan's body. This is what she said.
4: Yeah, so, you know, we don't know. We know the back, the front of the shop was closed. There was no money taken from it. Mm. He had money in his pocket. It was not touched. Mm. But it just seemed to me as though it was, they knew what they were doing. Because his body was not, it was quite badly mutilated. I know from the undertaker, he didn't want the kids to see because he had knife cuts on his arms and things. Oh, really? Um,
0: yeah. Huh.
4: And then there was a gun. So, I mean, it sounds to me like there was more than one person for a start.
0: Knife cuts? Up until this point, the only information the police have ever released regarding injuries are that Jordan had been shot, apparently once, by a .22 calibre rifle. Yeah, I mean, knife cuts, I have not seen or heard of that before. That's, yeah, well, that, that's, that's interesting.
4: That's what- it's what the undertaker told us at the time, that they didn't want the kids to
0: see. Knife cuts and a gunshot wound. This is a crucial new piece of information. I asked Christos if he recalled anything.
1: But the thing is, uh, they us to the coroner asked us to get some um, long sleeves uh, because he has some cuts. I don't know what, uh, what's the, what, what the cuts come from. Mother. I, I have no idea.
0: The fact that Jordan had cuts to his arms significant enough for the undertaker to ask for a long sleeve shirt is a huge new piece of information. We know he was shot with a rifle, but this would indicate there was likely a second weapon. If this is indeed the case, the police have never made this information public, and on the surface would imply there must have been more than one killer. Is it possible Jordan had received these cuts innocently during the day, or were they an injury made by the perpetrators? This is something I'll be investigating further. I mean, how important would it be for you for this? I know you said you've got your photo and you do remember that, but... If this case could be solved, would it give you sort of a sense of closure?
1: Oh, it. If they solved then I'll be telling everybody back home. Because they worry, They always ask me, always ask me. They find anything, they find anything, they find anything. I said, no, they don't. He said, what kind of police did they come find somebody murdered? Mm. But uh, as I say, if, if he was in Greece, will find it very quick. Yeah. If it happens this and it won't take about even twenty-four hours. Yeah, They will find the, who, who's done it. Do you have? I know I don't. Uh, I don't let the New Zealand police down, but uh, as I say, it's um, it's been to me too long for no any answers uh, for it.
0: Do you? Do they have they ever been in touch with you just to let you know what's going on?
1: No, No, nothing. No, no. It's just only for the beginning. After that. Uh, they come a couple of times, They private investigators, they come to my house and um, and the bikini. And then after that, um, I never heard of it, anything. But now you're talking to me, I was um, I was going to find out uh, what's uh, happened. I was going to ring the police uh, down in Paro to see what, uh, if you have anything. But uh, you just you just pop in and something better make the thing to you.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'd love to talk to you, actually, after, if you do talk to the police, I'd love to talk to you after that and just see... Find out what they sort of what they say to you. Yeah,
1: well, I would like to find out what's going on. I mean, it's been for quite a few years now, so I like to know what's happening, Where they get into it, if they have any any leads or somewhere.
0: If the people that did it, if you could say to them right now something through this podcast, whatever, what would what would you say to them? To the people that are out there, maybe listening to this.
1: Yeah. Well, don't don't take this guilt with you. Just Go back in there and tell the people, because some, some part of the family, they like to know. Why you done that? What the reason? You can't just uh, let it go like this. Because people, there a lot of people of our family, they're waiting for it. To find out why, what's the reason, what's the purpose? That person that person doesn't have a conscience and I don't think <laughs> he has any feelings. He has his heart, it will be established still Have not feelings, no want to find out to why I did it, to tell somebody I did it for that reason or I've done it for somebody. No, nobody knows why, man. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows. That's the question. Why?
0: We end our conversation there, and I hang up trying to process Christos and how him and his family are feeling. There's a real sense of grief there, but also frustration. Like everyone, his biggest question is the simplest one. Why? Why would someone or some people killer pizza man who seems to be such a loved member of the community. The next day I jump in my car and make the couple hour drive to Pyro. Today, I'm heading to Arkwright's Antiques. I've tried contacting Viv in advance, but with no luck, so I'm just going to walk right through the door of her shop and hope for the best. So just heading into Pyro for the first time. It's interesting because normally going through Pyro, for me, this is a turn right and continue on town, not a place that I would normally stop. So so my plan here today on the first visit is to go to Arkwright Antiques and try and track down Vivian Leonard, who I understand is quite familiar with the case and was the neighbour of Jordan and also have a bit of a head around town and I'd like to go to the actual scene and walk through that so yeah find a good spot to park just pull it away a bit further
5: back 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 oh yeah. there
0: we go <laughs> thank you <laughs> it can be a bit tricky those things can't they? <laughs> Nice store with a lot of a lot of cool things in here. Hi. Hi. You don't happen to be Vivian, do you? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. Um, my name's Ryan Wolf. I'm Hi. um I'm making a podcast about the murder of Jordan Viduri. Oh. Yeah, I
5: know. Nine years. Yes. Yeah. Got his little garden sussed around there.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I was wondering, would you be interested in in having a chair? Maybe not now, obviously yeah. you're busy, Yeah. but um, at some point. Definitely. Thanks for listening to this first episode of Guild, Who Killed Jordan Vidori. If you like this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out there. And make sure you tell two friends about the podcast. Guilt is written, produced, and edited by me, Ryan Wolfe, and is a product of Brevity Studios, New Zealand. Opinions of guests of this podcast are not necessarily a statement of the podcast itself. On the next episode of Guilt, who killed Jordan Badori?
5: The paper, local paper, come and they said, Could, you know, we're going to do a follow-up on Jordan. Do you want? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help. I, you know, I'll do anything I can to help catch who ever killed him. Anyway, they did a big story and a big picture, this big on the front page of me. And then, and someone said, Oh, you'd think the Haraki Herald would have a story because they're all owned by the same out. So the next week, another big story came out with an added two. And it was like, Oh, God, shrink, you know, because then it was out there for everybody to see. Well, <coughs> my girl was working here and I was over in the refinery. And I get a phone call and she said, Oh, there's this guy here who wants to talk to you, big Maori guy. And um, gave me the phone. It was raining outside, I could barely hear. And he said, look, I just read the story about you trying to find out who did the murder. He said, he said, I know who did it. And he said, and he's dead now. So he said, just lay off, just forget about it. And I said, well, have you told the police this? And he said, yep. He said, they know it. He said, it was my nephew. He said, and he got killed.
0: Title track, Bound Unto Root, Side B Goes Live. Closing track, Jukebox, by Patrick Patricchios.